Hey, everybody. How are we doing? No opinion, no opinion about how we're doing today? I know it's a little sparse. We got some people out sick. We got snow. It's snowing. I was just thinking yesterday, I could just go for a little bit more winter, you know? Thank you, Jesus. We got it. Hey, you can kind of spread out and stuff. You got plenty of room, but uh, we're going to continue to talk about our value of pursuing healthy relationships today. And today I want to talk about honor. And to start things off, read with me Romans chapter 12, verse 9. This will be the first slide. Love must, whoa, yeah. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So look again at verse 10, the second half. It says, honor one another above yourselves. In our culture, honor is kind of a a bit of a foreign concept, right? When we hear the word honor, I kind of think, I guess I can think of like honor cultures, honor killings, you know, that kind of thing. In America, we don't really have much of a value for honor. or Actually, very few examples of honor. Uh, Mother's Day, I think, is maybe the best one where we honor our mom with a phone call, you know. You know, we, we're like, Mom, I love you. Our relationships started with pain. I'm sorry, not much has changed since then. Or, or I think of Veterans Day where we honor soldiers who have died for our nation. And when I think about honor or a culture of honor inside the church until very recently, if I'm honest, all that really came to mind was the abuse of honor by celebrity pastors. So, you know, sometimes this culture of honor sort of stuff can be abused in churches where celebrity pastors consciously make everything about them. And they're the only ones who get honor in the entire place. And I just said, well, there's there's abuse of honor, so I'm not really interested in it. And I think I just played right into the enemy's hands. I think cynicism is one of the enemy's best tools to actually make us unable to see the legitimate value of powerful things in the kingdom at times. Because the longer I sit with this idea of honor, the more I realize that I have been missing it in this area big time. And I've had to repent for that. So, we're going to talk about honor. It's a very simple teaching. You'll get the gist of it in about five or ten minutes. And I'll just keep talking for a while, right? But, <clears throat> but I really do want this to sink into our gut. Um, And if we would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church on this one, I think it would really reshape how we do relationships in community and church from the ground up. That's not an over-exaggeration. I really believe that. So, Romans chapter 12, that passage that we just read, is Paul's vision of a healthy relational faith community. So so when it comes to Paul's letters, theologians point out that, that the first part of most of his letters is theology, And at the end is practice. So for Romans, theology basically is chapters 1 through 11. Then chapter 12, verse 1, he writes, therefore, and he shifts gears into practice. And there's some some great stuff about worship and about the gifts in the church. And then you have this little section that we just read. Two very dense paragraphs 
about how we're to live together in relationship as a community. And today we just want to key in on that one very simple idea of honor one another above yourselves. So, so what is honor? The, the Greek word used by Paul is tomeo. It can be translated value or price. It was originally a financial word. The, the context to honor somebody was to give them a gift of money or something in keeping with their value or status. It's where we get the word honorarium, if that's helpful. That, that to say, to honor someone is to recognize the value of their contribution to our life and our community. So if you think of the word glory, glory is the implicit value that something has or someone has. And honor is recognizing that value. So for example, God has glory with or without our honor. God's glory is not diminished by whether or not we acknowledge it. So C.S. Lewis says, look man, you don't believe in the sun, doesn't matter. It's not gonna diminish in any way because you don't believe in it. It's gonna continue to shine. Same thing with God, he's forever glorious, but honors when we choose to acknowledge him as glorious. It's bringing what we recognize and what we value in alignment with God's reality. And I think of Revelation 5, which is just a glimpse into heaven right now. Revelation 5, this will be slide number two. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's what's going on right now in heaven. A multitude is recognizing the value of God, recognizing the contribution of God to the world. Now, what we read earlier is Paul's command to honor one another, to recognize the value and the contribution of each member of the community. So it's not flattery. It is a heart posture, a heart position, where you're quick to see the good in somebody, to value somebody, to quick to respect them, to live with gratitude and appreciation, to recognize and acknowledge this is specific about you and what you offer into my life. And what I love about Paul's command to honor is it's, it's not just like honor the visiting celebrity pastor or just honor those who are on the stage. No, it's honor one another. What Paul is saying is we are to treat every single person like they are a celebrity or they're some very, very important person as if they have a high value. So think of the paragraph in The Weight of, Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis where he writes, there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal. You have people sitting near you now. They might look like Joe Schmoes or plain Janes. What it Jane means? Nope, they're immortal. The woman or man on your left and right is not a mere mortal. They're no ordinary people. Who here? Have you ever seen like who here has seen like a celebrity like in the wild? Yeah? Yeah, I saw Ludacris walking through Atlanta Airport one time. That's cool. What do you do? You go to the person next to you and you're like, hey, don't look, but I think Tom Cruise is over there. 
Don't let them see us looking, right? What if we were to treat everybody that way? You see who's here? That's, that's Stacy, mother of two. Are you serious? Stacy, mother of two kids is here? Oh my gosh, I want to meet her. We laugh, because who would do that? I don't do that. But I think Jesus would do that. What if his followers were to do, be like that, have that hard posture? A lot of translations, Bible translations, don't really get across the emotion of the scripture we read in Romans. I love how the Christian Standard Bible puts it. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like it's a competition. Some of you are probably really competitive. Let's have a contest. To just have a community that's tripping over each other to honor one another. Now, Romans 12 is just one place in Scripture that it talks about honor. Let me give you a few more specific examples. The top of the list is from the Ten Commandments. Commandments, honor your father and mother. Children are to honor their parents. That doesn't mean just like little kids. First um, Peter 3, 7, husbands, honor your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter's saying when you dishonor somebody you're in close relationship with, particularly a spouse, when you dishonor them, you actually hinder your prayers. You create some kind of blockage between you and heaven. Honor is that important. 1 Timothy 6, slaves are to honor their masters. Now this is kind of loaded language for us, but uh, slavery in the ancient Mediterranean is not what we think of when we think of like the transcontinental slave trade in America. Um, Ancient Mediterranean slavery was not based on race. It was rarely for life. It was more like indentured servitude. Not that that was necessarily a good thing. It was just very different. And in Paul's framework, slaves, or we might say employees, it's the closest thing we have in our world, are to honor their masters, or we would say employers. Now, I mean, think of how much griping we do about our bosses. The gossip that we often do with other coworkers, right? And drag people down, and it's so against the heart of Jesus. Next one, Romans 13, says that we are to honor all those who are, quote, governing authorities. God established the principle of government to bless, protect, and prosper society. Paul says that we are to esteem the office as an authority established by God. Now, if you're thinking, yeah, but Paul, you have no idea what our governing authorities are like. Well, most scholars date the book of Romans to during the reign of Caesar Nero. If you know anything about Roman history, Nero was the worst of the worst. He would literally cover followers of Jesus in tar, put them in his garden, nailed to a pole, and light them on fire as human torches. Torture them to death. I mean, he was horrible. I'm not trying to draw any comparison. I'm just trying to say we get no excuse. Paul was later imprisoned by Nero, and yet he says even... Even those that are not worthy of honor for character, we treat with honor because of the office and the authority established by God. And here's what I think. This might not be a popular opinion, but that's never stopped me before. So here's what I think. I think you get the leaders that you deserve, for better or for worse. And what I mean is, one of the problems I believe in our political realm right now is there's so much dishonor of authority. There's so much dishonor that you begin to wonder, like, 
Who in the world would even want to run for political office or president? I wouldn't. Or who would want to run for office at all? You're just signing up to have people try to destroy you, no matter who you are. And so what happens is the office, the political position, begins to draw and attract the kind of people that have other motivations other than serving people or improving things. I'm not saying that's true for all politicians. I'm just saying I think if political positions were honored, we might see a different caliber of people running for them. I believe it's an issue. But we're to honor political leaders. And then this is a bit difficult for me to say, but church leadership is supposed to be honored. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Slide number three. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. In your own time, just Google pastoral depression. See how it's going for church leaders. Leaders take a lot of criticism. And churches are places where, we're, because we're supposed to, to love one another, people just feel like they can say whatever they want. And if, that doesn't, if they don't like how that goes, they just leave. Leadership is hard. And listen, the leadership here is doing well. We genuinely love to serve. We have so much gratitude and appreciation for you in this church. So I'm not shaming anybody. But there are times when church leadership takes a beating. So we want to have a culture where we honor our leaders. The big idea really is we're to build this culture where nobody goes unhonored. Leaders are honored. Members are honored. Those who seem insignificant receive special honor. I think if we do that, we're going to see the kingdom of God. And then naturally, we're supposed to honor God. Jesus says it's important to honor him. John 5, 22. This is slide number four. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. This is a problematic verse for Jehovah's Witnesses. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Next look at this verse in Isaiah, slide number five. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Creation honors God. The natural world honors God. So what do you think a jackal does in her spare time? What do you think an ostrich does in his spare time? They honor God. The natural order honors and acknowledges the creator. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Next slide. Honor the Lord with your wealth... With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. How many of you feel like in, in 2022, I want my vats to overflow with new wine? Honor the Lord with your wealth. And not only are it to honor God, but the beauty is that God desires to honor us. Psalm 8 talks about this. Next slide. Talking about us, he says, You made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. We rule over the earth. We rule over the animal kingdom. We have been given authority over the earth. God has crowned us with honor. Or think of this line from Jesus, John 12. Next slide. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. 
My Father will honor the one who serves me. So that's a promise. You serve Jesus, you dedicate your life to him and his kingdom, and he will honor you. God the Father will honor you. It doesn't say how, but in some way God will honor you. Which comes as no surprise because honor is at the center of the Trinity itself, the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the template for all relationships in the family of God. So the Father honors the Son and the Spirit. The Son honors the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit honors the Father and the Son. Scholars call us the circle of honor. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. It is how relationships are to operate and function under the rule and the reign of God. And therefore, a community with a culture of honor is one where value, respect, gratitude, appreciation, recognition, humility, generosity, and others-centered love freely flow between all members. Not just up to the top, not just to the random celebrity in the group, but between every single relationship in the kingdom. Now, this is completely countercultural because American culture is not like that at all, is it? Ours is a culture of contempt. What is that? Well, the, defini- the dictionary defines contempt as the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving of, sc- deserving of scorn. It's a mixture of anger and disgust, arrogance, entitlement, ingratitude. If honor is a kind of respect, contempt is a kind of disrespect. If honor is gratitude, contempt is a sense of entitlement. If, to, if honoring somebody is to value them, to show contempt for someone is to lower a person's value. Dallas Willard says the contempt is to look down your nose at somebody. It's to label a person, to judge them, to, criti- to categorize them, to lower their value in your mind. It's really to focus on the bad qualities of somebody. It's to view an entire person through the lens of one personality defect or one mistake they made in the past, or whatever it is. This is one of the major problems of our time. The the misguided online morality culture perpetuates a myth that the world is only black and white, good or bad. But anybody who's ever been in a relationship with another human being knows it's not how people or situations work most of the time. I'm not saying everything's 50-50. There is bad and there's evil in the world. But most of the time, real life is way more messy, complex, and nuanced than the black and white that our culture is fixated on right now. But we love to divide people into good and evil, us versus them, because we get to label other people and throw them in a category and look down on them. This, in turn, enables us to compare ourselves. Not to the real person that's our neighbor or boss or spouse or whatever, but to a figment of our imagination that we create around them to an illusion. And in doing so, feel superior in some way. It's the opposite of what it means to honor one another above yourselves. Now, this is not to rail on anybody, right? We all do this. I do this. Again, lots of repentance in the home household recently. Let me just give you one touchy example of how we do this. I believe that in a secular society, 
politics becomes the new religion. People approach it with a religious zeal. What is continually surprising to me in our modern political landscape is how immune or tolerant people are with the vitriol and angry language and hate coming from their own side and scandalized by the exact same thing coming from the other side. It seems to me that both sides are blind to the level of contempt they're demonstrating. I mean, how do you think about the, the people who voted differently from you in this last election? Is it, oh man, I just really respect them as highly intelligent people? I really think ultimately they're really good-hearted. No, we don't think that, that way at all. Because no guilt, no shame, this is me too. We do this because we live in a culture of contempt. We love to scandalize. And who doesn't love a good scandal every couple minutes? Jonathan Haidt, who's a brilliant American social psychologist, said this. Next slide. Scandal is great entertainment because it allows people to feel contempt. A moral emotion that gives feelings of moral superiority while asking nothing in return. With contempt, you don't need to right the wrong, as with anger, or flee the scene, as with fear or disgust. And the best of all, contempt is made to share. My point's very simple. We need to be a counterculture in this area. Because ours is a culture not of honor, but of contempt. Now, to end our time, let's just run a little compare and contrast between a culture of honor and a culture of contempt and the kinds of lives and relationships that come out of each. A culture of honor opens us up to blessing. Contempt shuts us off from the flow of blessing. So Danny Silk talks about how accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and will position us to receive the gifts of who they are in our lives. So the best example I can think of of this in the New Testament is the story from Mark, chapter 6. There we see, um, next slide, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom? So Jesus is just brilliant. They say, and the power to perform such miracles. But then notice, then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Carpenter, by the way, scholars say isn't really necessarily the right word. There wasn't a forest for 100 miles at Jesus' hometown. Almost nothing was built out of wood. Maybe a door, maybe a small table. Almost everything was built out of rock. Jesus was more likely a masonry worker or more accurately a construction worker. He was a blue-collar worker to the core. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. Remember Mary? Like, I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit, Mary? Oh, yeah, we remember her, sure. Son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, and I don't imagine any anger in his voice, I just imagine sadness in his eyes. A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to, to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them, which is like a bad day for Jesus. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. Translation, 
he left. Not in anger. He didn't threaten anybody with lightning. He just left. Jesus himself said, don't throw your pearls before swine. Right? Shake the dust off your feet. It's not some act of contempt or anger. It's just, don't offer something to people that aren't ready to receive it from you. The Nazarenes lowered Jesus' value. He's just, he's just one of us. That's his brother over there. That's his mom. We know this kid. He's a construction worker. He carries rocks. This is an innate desire to go, you're no better than me. You're no more special than me. To bring people down to your level. It's not part of the kingdom. What happens is we miss out. They missed out on the anointing that Jesus was carrying with the kingdom of God. And I don't fully understand this, but what we see in this context is that a lack of honor led to a lack of faith, which limited what Jesus would have done otherwise. Jesus goes away. This is what happens. When we honor people, we get access to whatever they carry. Whatever spiritual authority. All of you have some sort of form of spiritual authority. When we honor one another, we get access to that spiritual authority. We get access to them in our own life. If it's friendship, relationship, conversation, wisdom, prophetic ability, healing, discernment, wealth, resources, opportunities, whatever it is, when we honor people, we get access to whatever it is they carry. When we dishonor people, we cut off ourselves from whatever it is they have to offer. Relationship, wisdom, resources, whatever it is, we cut ourselves off. I think of Paul's line as another example in Ephesians. So next chapter. No, no. Next slide. It says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life on this earth. So this is the first of the relational commandment, commandment, it's commandments, and it's the only one that has a promise so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. There's no promised reward for not killing somebody, Right? Like, if you don't murder somebody this week, you don't get a treat at the end of the week. Same with adultery, same with lying. The one commandment that comes with the promise of blessing is you honor. You honor your father and mother, they'll go well for you. You may enjoy a long life on the earth. What Paul's saying is you honor people, you open up your life to the flow of blessing. And what's a better example than honor your father and your mother? Sometimes the most difficult people for children to honor. This is the first principle of honor. Honor opens you up to blessing. Dishonor, contempt, shuts you off. Secondly, honor brings out the best in people. Contempt brings out the worst. Much of honor has to do with what we speak over people. And a core biblical idea from page one of the Bible is that words have far more power than most of us realize they have. They have the power to create reality. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. As a general rule, people will live up or down to the words that you speak over them. When you treat people with honor, they often live up to what you say and act honorably. When you treat people with contempt, we all know this from experience. Often they, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And they act in ways that are contemptible. The pastors here, what we see just from a pastoral vantage point is when people are dating, 
Like, all they see is the good in the person. And they're actually blind to who they actually are. And we're like, have fun with that when reality hits you. And, and then they move forward, and at some point, oftentimes, there's a flip. And people actually go blind to the good in their spouses. And all they think about is fo- or focus on is, I don't like that. You talk with your mouth full. You always leave the drawers open. Whatever it is, there's a shift. And what we see is that these amazing people can become full of contempt and dishonor and disrespect towards their spouse. It's devastating. Your spouse is, will likely live up to what you say is true about them. You often create the reality of who your spouse is. Same thing with parenting. I'll hear fr- frustrated parents. No judgment on frustrated parents at all. But I'll hear them say things like, oh, little Johnny, he's such a devil. And normally, little Johnny is a devil. But I always wonder, like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, well, he's, he's hearing his parents say in public he's a devil. What do you expect him to act like? Speak the reality you want to see over them. Josh Osborne talked beautifully about this last time he spoke. Listen to that sermon. Children, you are obedient, kind, respectful, important, responsible, pleasant. Some people might call that manipulation. I just call it Christ-like parenting. We have more power than we think we do in the tongue. We have the power to destroy or to bring life, to release people into their destiny. Jesus did this. He would honor people that nobody else did. He spoke life and calling over a fisherman, a tax collector, a prostitute. These people went on to rewrite the course of human history because Jesus saw something in them that nobody else saw. And he called it out. And he called them into a destiny and a future. Isn't this why we love Jesus? Jesus saw people nobody else honored, and he said, I value you. I know you're a sinful woman. I value sinful women. I know you're a tax collector. I value tax collectors. You're a prostitute? I value prostitutes. He just walked around, and everybody that nobody saw value in, he saw value in. And he brought them in, and he healed them. He forgave them. He raised them up. He released them. He gave them a hope and a future. This is what Jesus does. Jesus grants honor to everybody. So if we're going to live in the way of Jesus, we have to, be, we have, to have a culture of honor. So as we finish, if, if you're anything like me, as I've been talking, I'm betting that the Holy Spirit has been convicting some of you, that you've dishonored people in your life. I know for me, this is a, kind of a before and an after talk. This is I'll never be the same kind of thing. So I bet that while I've been talking, the Holy Spirit's been moving and speaking to some of you. So maybe you have realized that there are people that you have dishonored. You've not been devoted to them in love. You've honored yourself above them. In fact, maybe you showed contempt to them. So a couple questions. A couple questions to ask yourself. Who have you dishonored in your heart And secondly, what does God want you to do about it? What is God asking you to do to make it right? And thirdly, I genuinely want to call us as a church family to resolve that we build a culture of honor in our life. I believe if we get this right, God's going to release something extraordinary in this church and in this city. 
because the world aches for a restoration of honor. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come, we come boldly into your presence, Lord. We come boldly before the throne of God. We ask for a revelation of this culture of honor. Show us just the operating system of the kingdom of God. Father, forgive us for those we have dishonored, for those we have shown contempt to, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness. Father, pour your love into to overflowing into us so that there will be such an overflow from us every person we meet, every conversation we have. We just pray that every interaction will be framed by honoring one another above ourselves. It's for your name that we pray.